it became really important to me to say, to say to my managers, to say to people who work with me, it's really hard to be a mom with a kid. We really have to support people who have children because it's really, really difficult because it is so easy to retreat, to be alone in it, Mm. to isolate, to want to want to help maintain the illusion that this is simple because we don't want to be the one who says it's really hard for me. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If my memory serves me right, at almost every CEO bootcamp we've had, one of the women in the circle is pregnant. This news is revealed on the final days of the camp. It's a secret she keeps close. I reckon she does so for many reasons. One of which is that she knows it means big shifts and recalibrations in her world, namely around how she handles the world of work as a mother with a family at home. Motherhood is one of those one-way doors in life. You move in that direction and are changed on the other side. When I first emailed our coaches, asking what women face these days, what they heard about from our clients, the thread became alive with many responses falling under a wide umbrella of motherhood and fertility. Of all the choices related to having a family, choosing to have a family seems to be the biggest one of all. Fertility challenges abound for some women, and others consider freezing their eggs while they are on a startup salary. A lot of women are afraid to talk about wanting to have kids and hesitant to tell anyone they are pregnant. Will I be seen as less credible if I reveal to investors that I am planning on having a family, she wonders. Then there's the added fear of taking maternity leave. How much time will feel right? And does that match the company policy? As my colleague Heather Jassy notes in this conversation, there's an identity shift that happens when you become a mother. Your heart gets broken wide open. Going back to work after having a baby has its own diaper bag of issues. Aside from deciding when and how to pump at work, working moms deal with mom guilt, wondering constantly if they are present enough in the lives of their growing children. Motherhood is a feat in and of itself. Barbara Kingsolver once wrote, Sometimes the strength of motherhood is greater than natural laws. Working mothers carry their life in one, if not both, arms, all while running the household and a workload of work with their ever-changing body at the helm. How can she make room for her needs? This Reboot Extra is a conversation with my colleagues Heather Jesse and Anne Mel. Both are mothers of two. In our conversation, we jump right in with Anne sharing a compelling stat about how much time women on average take off from being in the workforce. This kicks off a conversation between Anne, Heather, and I about the choices women face around motherhood and work. We hope you enjoy this Reboot Extra. This was a, a stat that I found, and it's the question is, what's the average time for women out of the workforce to care for children or even another relative? Like, what's the average time frame that they take out of the workforce, if you were to take a guess? How many years it is? This is over the course of a career. I would say like 18. 
12 years, 12 years. Um, and then the follow-up I thought percentage was interesting. It's what percentage of women will be financially responsible for themselves or their families at some point? And the answer, at least they gave, was 99%. And then the third was what percentage of women serve as their household's primary breadwinner? And it's 40%, which I might have guessed, actually, at this stage, it could be 50. So I just think those are very compelling that some of us are not alone with some of these things we're tending to, but we don't always bring it forward in the mainstream conversation of what we're working with, whether it's the care for another the time out of work, the lapse and what that feels like. Um, well, and then re-emerging, right? Because it's putting the career on hold, putting you on hold and then re-emerging right. back into something. I mean, a lot changes in 12 years. Yeah. I was thinking too, one of the phenomenons I used to notice over time was I would have clients find me right when they were on the precipice of something huge, meaning they'd want to schedule a session having never met with me before a week before they're about to deliver or a week before they're about to get married. And I often thought, this is fascinating because you think to yourself, how do they have the time to fit this in? And what's this about when they, you know, they're, they're almost off to another, uh, a whole nother horizon. And I realized there's this, uh, at times an anxiety, I'm going to lose myself in this next phase, or I might, uh, the ground beneath me is going to shift. And with all this uncertainty, I'd like to come to you, coach, to tell me, like, let's ground in something, you know, let's, mm -hmm. let's talk career or let's talk about my setup at work or, and there's a certainty factor that's wanted because there's so many unknowns. I think there's something in there about identity meets life challenge that you're up against or in a positive way, celebration, and, uh, but also just an unknown. You know, I feel like there's always this question around timing and when, it, when is it the right time to have a baby? And I've, I've said to friends, like, that's like trying to figure out when it's a convenient time to have a tornado hit your house. And I think it gets, for me at least, harder with the second because I knew a tornado was going to hit my house. And I kept thinking, okay, when do I feel prepared? And, uh, you know, that kept feeling further and further into the future. But I think, I think the other thing that I didn't know with my first child that I expected more with my second is I didn't know how I was going to change. I didn't mm -hmm. know how I was going to feel like a completely different person a couple of months after I had a baby. You know, I knew something was going to shift and I couldn't even project into the future what I would want or how I was going to be feeling. Um, mm. It's just such a, it is such an identity shift and it's really hard to plan for that. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Or if there's a part of you that loves to know or have some control, you're seeking control right in the 11th hour of entering into this new phase. I think there's a parallel also to how um, often when people are preparing to get married, they think less sometimes about the marriage and, and how, you know, some of the frightening implications of that. And it, it feels more comforting to, to plan a wedding, to really throw oneself into the part that feels manageable. When I was pregnant with my first child, it felt so good to have this project and buy all the things and do all the things and get everything already and feel like I was prepared and not really, you know, again, I didn't really know what to anticipate because it was I just, I don't know, but it, it is, you know, we, I, I at least tended to focus more on the part that I could control than the feeling that I was about to lose control. 
I keep thinking of my friend had twins and we worked next to each other. So I was with her through her whole pregnancy. And I asked her, you know, I was like, what was it like? Like what, what was labor like? And she's like, well, it gets to this point where your body just becomes an animal. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear you guys talk about like loss of control, I'm like, yes, it's in the process. Like that's just even what the body goes through and in the, the bringing forth of, you know, what you've been carrying for so long. I'm so grateful that as women, we just talk more about all the parts mm-hmm. we, and we share the hacks and we share the ugly and we, we share the, I don't know. I'm so grateful that I have the call a friend and, uh, and we're willing to sort of share what worked, what didn't. Mm. Yeah. I, th- I think that having a community of other mothers is so, is so helpful. And I, you know, when I, with my first child, I didn't have the experience of having that community of mothers around me. It was, it was incredibly lonely. And I, it, it just, it is a feeling of like, am I crazy? Am I crazy? Like, is it just this hard for me? Is there something I'm not doing that mm-hmm. I should be doing that makes this feel like I'm pushing a boulder up, a, you know, pushing a boulder uphill every single day and starting it again the next morning. This second go round, I have really a community of women and people who've been mothers for a while. And, and, um, really we've all dropped collectively dropped this idea that this is glamorous or Instagrammable or easy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, it is so validating just to be able to text somebody and say, God, that was hard, (laughs) you know, and to be, to feel seen by other people who can say, I know how hard this is every day how wonderful it is and also how hard it is and to have a safe place to be able to say that um, is so validating, but to also say, have people say, yeah, have you tried this without judgment? Like knowing that we're all just doing the best that we can has changed how it feels to be a mother for me, but it took a long time to have that and to find Mm. that, you know, actually um, funny story about this and was my coach when I had my first baby, she was my executive coach. And um, I was the first mother uh, with a baby at the company where I worked. And it was so hard. And um, this is, you know, I, I had to, I am going to cry as I speak of this, you know, but um, there was no, there was no place to pump milk. And I had to sit in the bathroom with my back barricaded, barricading the door. Mm. and it was so hard and I would sit and cry Mm. and you know I I would call Anne and cry to her and say this is so hard I just don't think I can do it and she Mm. said you have to do it and you have to tell how hard it is or it makes other women feel like it's impossible when they experience it you know if you make it look easy if you make it look um if you make it look simple and you don't tell the story of how hard it is, then everyone else feels like it's just them and they're alone in their struggle. Mm. And it became really important to me to say, to say to my managers, to say to people who work with me, it's really hard to be a mom with a kid. We really have to support people who have children because it's really, really difficult. Right. And, um, and that was so meaningful to me that you said that because it is so easy to retreat, to be alone in it. Mm. to isolate, to want, to want to help maintain the illusion that this is simple. 
Right. Because we don't want to be the one who says it's really hard for me. You know, what creeps up as you're in the bathroom stall are all these emotions that are feelings of shame. Like I have to have it all together. Right. You know, and why would you have it all together? You're just, you're in the process of trying to figure out how long will I be in here before I can, can I make that meeting that I agreed to on my phone? Or I need to freeze what I just pumped because if I don't, then how many hours do I get again? And it's like- That, so that image to me represents all of these crazy things we do in the juggling act, right? Yeah, I try never to give advice about motherhood unless people ask me because I I hated getting unsolicited advice about it um, or commentary uh, from people. But, you know, the the thing is, it's, it's so hard, but I tell people, like, you'll figure it out it comes together, you figure it out. It's really hard and it may feel like it's been scotch taped together, but it, it, it comes together and you make it happen and you do it because you have to. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd say on the flip side for me going through that, through that difficulty, motherhood has allowed me to access just reserves of strength and fortitude that I did not know that I had. It made me get so much more efficient at work because before I had kids, I just like, I like to work. I like to be at work lots of hours. It didn't bother me to be at work. And once I had, you know, an obligation to someone in that way, I like, I had to think about how to prioritize, how to delegate, how to get really smart about the time that I spent at work. I used to have a photographic memory that completely went out the window as soon as I got pregnant the first time. And I couldn't even remember what day it was. And I had to get really disciplined and found religion about having a productivity system and writing everything down and automating that as much as possible. And and so, you know, because you have to, it actually can force you to really dig deep and make improvements. And, and, um, that was my personal experience with it because I had to, I was the primary breadwinner for my family. It wasn't an option to walk away from work. Um, and I didn't want to, and I had to figure out how to make it work. And these are challenges. Again, I think about when we were talking earlier, it's like, look at how blessed we are to even have the struggle when I'm sitting in front of clients, female clients, and we're talking fertility or we're talking about just mm. life choices before they have a partner in the midst and they don't want to lose their chance at a family, we can back up and even get into, you know, the, again, the, um, the core of like what's so tough and how we just have such a tough effing rap as women. Yeah. From my experience, I wasn't raised with the focal point being reproduce. It was more about take care of yourself, try to get a good job, uh, don't rush into anything, but we miss the part that actually the eggs get old. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and if this is something you care about as a value, let's get smart on ideas or options there. So this, the freezing of my eggs wasn't in, it wasn't as mainstream as I think it is now in, in mm. conversations I'm in with clients. And so I've tried to educate myself on the fertility story, the options, the financial cost because a lot of the startup founders especially are, are trying to weigh uh, when and how could I make this happen given the constraints and given my time and financial limitations. I have had those conversations and I, I think that there is a lot of fear, you know, understandably around 
what it's going to be like to go through that process. What I see is, you know, clients will say to me, you know, and I want to pursue, continue to pursue building this company as a founder, but with the startup salary I'm on, Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'd ever be able to save for freezing. And I don't even know how I feel about that fully. My friends tell me it's time, but I don't have anybody in the midst um, that I want to share a life with. So am I, is it the right thing to do? I think about a client who, you know, she also said to me, I think I'm going to freeze my eggs. My friends have all done it. The thing that's hard for me is I think I have to stay on the ground for a week to do it as part of the process. And I, I don't see myself wanting to be in Manhattan for a week because my travel and my work. So therein lies like she had the money, but didn't want to have to like, we'll say sit still for a week to -hmm. deal with something that's also painful. It's not like it's simple, right? To Mm -hmm. harvest. Um, And then there's, as I mentioned, the other questions of, um, you know, where, where, where will my focus be right now? Should it be on this? Should I pull the trigger with this? Or is, do I have time? Um, And I'm, I'm just sensitive to what are big, big questions and big, big costs. And I say it's tricky and unfair because I feel like as a gender, we're just equipped and we're built in a certain way. There's a window of time and um, mm-hmm. you're dealt a hand and you work with that hand as best as you can. But men, of course, don't have those windows and they don't have to ch- force choose. And it's just not, a, you know, it's not really a, it's not what they face as part of the, the juggling act of career and life. And we haven't even touched upon other reproductive, like, choices you have around a donor egg or around a donor sperm, but there's, I I don't know what you found, Heather, with the Mm. benefits inside companies. I I have some sense of places that, again, are very progressive around this topic, but most, for the most part, especially with our entrepreneurial uh, community, you're not going to get a a health coverage on any of these numbers. Um, I think that's right. I think some, yeah, some are recognizing it, but I still don't think we're there. Like the conversation's way ahead, but the the catch up is still happening with taking care of the family story or you and your family costs. And I even think just maternity leave, right, still is this very like short span of time. Someone reminded me though that it was only a few years ago that you got six weeks off. So that the, the say three months, the window is actually longer now, but when you look across the pond, of course, it feels like a meager amount of time when other countries, you know, if you work for, say, the government and uh, uh, elsewhere, you would get almost a year of, of your seat being preserved and ability to work, you know, be off work. And, and the six weeks is really like a disability leave, essentially, yeah. right? You know, I had such different experiences with my children because my, um, with my first, I was in a very early startup and um, kind of patched together, was able to take a leave by patching together uh, the disability, the mandatory disability of six weeks and then buying against my vacation for the next year mm-hmm. um, and took a, took a three-month leave and came back and ramped up immediately. And even three months is a lot more generous than, than most women get. And I feel very, even lucky to have had that. And it was so difficult. It was so difficult, like immediately coming back into that atmosphere and having to ramp up immediately and being the only mother. And with my second child, I had, I took an extended leave again, very lucky. I took an extended leave and then ramped up very slowly and changed careers. And you know, I, I did not realize until 
I went through that process, how much healing I had to skip by packing it up and getting right back to work. And I needed that time. And, mm-hmm. and I, I realized, like, like, I don't know how I did it the first time. I don't know how I packed it all up and was right back in there again. And there was a cost for me. It was really emotionally, physically difficult. And, and women do this all the time. We just sort of pack ourselves in and we go. I'll say that the interesting thing is that, you know, for so many, for so many years, I felt so much guilt about the fact that with my first child, I worked so much more. I traveled a lot. Sometimes I slept her with me. Sometimes I didn't. Uh, but there was always this question around, am I doing enough? Like, are, are, you know, are we going to have an attachment? Are we, you know, mm-hmm. all these sorts of things. And, and so it's been so wonderful and validating to have a second child with whom I did have that time. And I am equally bonded with these, these two children. We are bonded and she was thriving and is still thriving. And it's just been interesting to watch it because I had a story um, about what I might be doing to my child by going back to work. Uh, you know, what I might mm. be um, subjecting her to or how, you know, I felt like this was the right thing and I had to do it, but also was it go- going to cause harm to her? And it didn't. <laughs> mm. It was a story that I had. And it's been so great to see over time how this has all played out. And she didn't suffer as a result of it. Yeah, I, lo- I love that, you know, most kids learn to read. Most kids end up walking. Most of us, you know, it's like in the long term, we all kind of mm-hmm. get there. You're close up in the, the mini crisis or this narrative, as you said there, Heather, that you're telling around, I'm abandoning my, my next of kin, or we won't have a connection, or she'll be in therapy due to this, or is just a moment's uh, glimpse and story. When ultimately, as you say, now you're, you have the data um, to prove that actually you're as close as you'd ever want to be, and that didn't actually do any harm. I love the shared stories just in general, which is take this for what it's worth, or here's, would you like to hear of my experience? It might help yes. you with what you're looking at. The, the, the comments I find very unhelpful, they're, they're almost like just social cues of what we think we're supposed to say, but I think most people say to me, especially with having a three-month-old right now, things like, oh, cherish it because it goes so fast. And I want to say, do you want to come live with me for 24 hours? Because I, <laughs> I live every second of that 24 hours. There's nothing fast about being up all night. <laughs> it's like it's a thing. But yet, I, th- I think what's more helpful is a nuanced exchange, which is, you know, it's just so hard, isn't it? Or I don't even know. I don't even think I have answers for you. But if you want to text me or call, I'm good at listening. Or anything that's just, again, there's no perfect way of doing this. Yeah. And I, I think, I think too, this becomes important because, you know, how we talk about mothers is how we talk about women. And, and, you know, so, um, I think, you know, it's funny because I, I feel like there, there is storytelling and lecturing to women, no matter what stage you're in. I feel like before I was a mother, women who were mothers would sometimes say to me, you know, make this sort of implication that maybe I was less womanly or less wise than them because I didn't have children. Like, oh, you can't possibly understand or almost this implication that you can't actualize as a human until you run this gauntlet. And I don't believe that's true. And I want to say that as we're talking about this, that we don't, we don't believe this is the only way to be a full human. 
then I feel like when I had one child, people with multiple children would say, well, you know, it's really easy to have one kid, wait till you have a few. And then, then it gets really hard. One kid's a breeze. And so like, I feel like at each stage, I've had people in my life tell me some version of like, well, there's this, there's this other thing that's a lot harder. There's a lot, this other thing you don't understand. And it, it's just not true. It's this, I think about this a lot with parenting and how difficult it is. It's like, why would you actually choose to do this? It, it like, <laughs> yeah. why would you choose to do this? And it, it, it is so difficult. And I, I think it's in many ways parallel starting a company. I mean, why would you mm. choose to do this? It's really difficult. It is not a lifestyle anyone would consciously choose. And you do it because you're motivated by something, but also because there are rewards. They may not be in the short term, but there, there is something motivating you to want to do it, right? And you can yeah. see beyond the pain of the present moment to what can be in the future. Um, and I think a lot about you know, what Pema Chodron says about when we go through times of extreme difficulty, we annihilate all the parts of ourselves that are not real. Mm. And the annihilation piece sounds really scary, but the flip side of that is what you're left with is what feels real and authentic. And, and I, this has been my experience of motherhood, of really forcing me to peel away parts of me that are not mine to have, that I no longer want having to really dig down and do some really deep work about how I'm showing up every day. And the work of being a parent is not to just talk about the thing, but to be the thing. If you want your children to learn how to experience joy, you, you yourself have to show them what it looks like to experience joy. You can't just talk about it. And it forces you to, for me, it forces me to do the work of facing the places where I'm not actually living the things that I'm trying to teach them to be and to continually have to look at myself and, and dig deeper, work harder, sit in therapy, do the hard work because it is a mirror constantly. I mean, children are this amazing mirror. You know, every time I think I'll notice some problematic behavior. I can pretty much always track it back to me. I mean, there's some <laughs> input I've had into this situation and there, there are moments where there are behaviors I'm not conscious of and I have to really get conscious of them or there are things I'm modeling. I, I have to really continually look and, and it is exhausting, but I'm also grateful for the gift of that. That's well said, Heather. Yeah, the child puts this fierce mirror up in front of you Mm. And, and looking at the things you say, God, I thought I was a patient person. Now look at me, I'm storming out of the house because I can't handle all this. Um, and, and I have to look at that. What's, uh, there's no hiding from it anymore because there's, uh, you're in it. And it's, I'm older. I've read a lot about how you don't get happiness from having kids. <laughs> mm. and, and then having a real uh, scary exhausting second where I, you know, I truly do wonder, was this a good idea? And I've gotten a, you know, great responses from wise individuals who have said, um, yes, it's hard. I understand that feeling. Thank you for sharing it. And the investment you've made is in the long haul, just like you were drawing out the parallel to the, to building a business. The, I think, what's part of what's so difficult in the early years, not, it's not, it's the sleep. 
it's the physical demands of breastfeeding, but it is also that, that when your children get older, there are more people who are participants in holding the frame for them. You know, I like once my child got to school and there were other teachers helping her be a moral and ethical person, teaching her. When they're so young, you just feel this, I felt this burden of just, my husband and I are just holding this alone and just trying to figure out what the hell to do all the time. And so, you know, as time goes on and there's more community to share that, it gets so much, it gets lighter, it gets easier. And um, when they're so young, it's just, it's, it's just very heavy, but it does pass. That I would say is a helpful comment. When we talk about helpful comment, not so helpful mm. exchange, is others saying, um, trust me, it's never going to be as hard as it is in this, that very moment you're in. It's still hard. It's a different hard. Mm-hmm. So hang in there. There's a book called The Grief Club by Melody Beattie. Mm. You know, the thesis of it is, you know, find your tribe of whatever your pain point is and you'll feel less isolated. And so... What I think is helpful is whether it be the early stages or the next cliff, as you were describing there, Heather, of like development, maybe your kid is in the world more, but now you're thinking about other questions of how to mother them and how to manage a career. Or maybe it's the empty nest, like now I'm liberated and yet I have, um, I'm, I'm in the throes of understanding who I am without being so needed, is like find an other who can just share the experience or notes about what they've learned or maybe their own emotions so you feel less alone. And I think mm-hmm. that's profound. I just think it's like find community, is find others, just as we always encourage to reboot, is like find people to sit in a circle with to talk through your latest uh, emotions around it all. Um, yes. One of the most helpful books I read was called uh, The Milk Memos by uh, Kate Colburn-Smith. And it was, it's a book that is a, a guide for new mothers, but it was based on the jur- these journals that were found in a lactation room at IBM. So hmm. all these women who didn't, actually some of them didn't even know one another. Um, they were all working in different areas, but they'd come in this room to pump milk and they'd write notes of encouragement or tips for one another and I, I love, I mean, it was really great practical advice about pumping and, and all kinds of things about going back to work. But I also just love the idea that it was this mind share of women who were with generosity supporting one another, even people that they didn't know. I thought it was such a, a, beautiful, a beautiful metaphor. And I didn't have that at the time. So just reading that book, I just sort of imagined like a, those were left for me. Um, and I, it was it was a really helpful one that I liked a lot. But to your point, just this like finding some some sort of group of people with whom you can share and get support, and who who can say, "I see you," and I see how hard this is. I think I don't. I can think of a few things that I consider a worse feeling than having something be really difficult and have to pretend it's not when you're holding it alone and you don't have anyone else who can share or even validate what you're experiencing, it is so isolating. And you feel as though it's just, it's just you. Like, I'm just not doing this motherhood gig right. I want to reference one book that I think is very helpful called Here's the Plan. It's by Alison Downey. And it's got in it lots of parts about the practical guide to like preparing for, uh, say, motherhood, 
related to the message of communication, the time off, the decisions mm. around nannies. Um, I was interviewed for the book a long time ago, and now I recommend it at times to clients to just think through uh, how important is it for me to mention this and when. So it's not just like when to tell your boss from the traditional corporate side of the house, but also if you're going to um, have a baby that's called your startup, when do you do your planning around that with even a co-founder? Or in getting in front of investors, you know, are we that progressive now that we say that they wouldn't judge us for being showing as we're doing our pitch for our Series B? Will I be judged? I, I don't know what the answer to all of this is, but I do know that the wave of women who are facing this, these questions now are incredibly brave. And I hope that in the future, after this group of women pushes the boundaries on this, that it becomes really normal that they like these things happen all the time, Mm -hmm. but it's just acutely hard for people now because no one's been doing it. It hasn't been done, right? These are Mm -hmm. new questions. And so, you know, I go back to this thing we said earlier, like if you, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Yeah. If we don't start doing these things, what, how is it going to shift and to change? I feel like these, are, these sort of questions related to motherhood are, are at this moment going to get easier later, but they're very tough for people who are going through them now. Yeah. And I think there are lots of things that companies can do to make this easier for women. I think, I think that, I mean, there's study after study around um, how important gender neutral parental leaves are. Because even if you have a generous parental leave policy, but women are, are still in the caretaker role. They're the only ones who will be stepping out to take care of their families. There's, no, there's still no equality there, right? When men will also step out, it, it neutralizes the playing field. I think it's important to promote pregnant women. I think it's really important to visibly promote pregnant women uh, and I've seen this thing happen even pro- in progressive places where it, maybe it's not even a promotion, but people hold back juicier projects from pregnant people because they know they're not going to be around to see it through. And it's, it is this way of forcing people to lean out early. Um, and so, yes, it's not ideal to have to take a few months off from a project, but the alternative is forcing people to the sidelines months and months before they're even going to take a break. It's, it's, you know, it it effectively hijacks their career for a couple of years. I I love it when companies like promote women who are visibly pregnant. I mean, it's such a statement of values when you do that. It's, it's incredibly powerful. I, um, I worked for uh, a smaller startup prior to reboot and uh, I was in the ops chair. And I, so HR fell under my pile of things and, uh, our accountant got pregnant and I had to fight to keep her. Mm. You know, my boss, the CEO, who's oddly a woman was like, she's not, she's not going to stay. She's, she's going to end up leaving. And I'm looking at her going, she can't leave. She needs this job. We need to make this work for her. Like, like I couldn't figure out like why, that impulse, like you were saying, to like push her to the sidelines um, was there. And I was like, this is such a crucial role in the company. Why is this even a question? And, and you know, my, 
CEO at the time was very progressive and, and smart in all things feminist studies. And I think I was just shocked by the juxtaposition of that. But it was a really hard conversation for me to be in, or a really hard situation for me to be in because I fought so hard to keep her. But at our boot camps, since our very first boot camp, the women, a hand, at least one woman that's come has been pregnant. And we find out usually on the last day. And of course, nobody knows kind of going in and they rarely will put that on their application form enough that it's required, but it eventually just surfaces. And then this happened even at our women's boot camp um, where we had all women in the circle. And uh, it was always on the last day uh, hmm. again, where someone would say, and I'm, I'm pregnant and this is like a thing. And uh, um, it's just such a shock that it just resurfaces like on, on day four or five of, of a retreat when you're so close and intimate with people, that that secret, that experience is just so precious that it's just hard to say mm. uh, to any audience, mm. whether it's an investor or your employer or a group of women who you've chosen to be with for five days. Well, that speaks to how scary that reveal is. Really scary. And the reveal always comes with tears. Mm. It always comes with tears. We had our first boot camp in Italy. We had, we had a woman in the group who was pregnant and she was having a, a hard pregnancy. And, um, and it was, it was like the second to last day. She, she really opened up in the circle and she just said, I am so I'm so in love with this baby. I'm so in love with the fact that I'm pregnant and I'm terrified that this is going to ruin my career. And she was like this acclaimed, you know, entrepreneur in her country. And she was like devastated at the thought that this is a beautiful thing would just wipe out everything that she's accomplished in her career and uh, make things so hard for her, like uh, starting her next company or getting investment or basically she would lose all credibility as an entrepreneur. Mm. And she was so distraught and just um, sobbing in the circle, that reveal and that experience just, it can be so rattling. Mm -hmm. And yet it's, it's like the, this most amazing life giving precious thing right to be pregnant and to like mm. to do this like to give birth and and wow so many mm. tears and so much fear around how it's even going to be perceived I mean I'm sure we could unpack that with like lineage and history and whatnot but mm. that's just a thread that I've really witnessed with women yeah I think unless we have this big movement big change or shift in the environments where we show up, where we call it work, where it's celebrated and honored, unless you have this very inviting, open, confident stance around, we can keep talking through this together. And it doesn't mean you're, you know, we've, we've eliminated your role. Um, it's still going to be something that you're going to hold back as real or happening because you're going to want to play it safe for your reputation's sake or until you're sure what move you need to make. There's a few glimmers of hope, and Heather, you mentioned this. I think about there's, I want to say a few founders, female founders who have posted their ultrasounds on their Twitter feed 
even though they're in the midst of fundraising. And uh, as a statement to say, I'm going to claim this, I'm excited. Oh, and yes, we still are trying to close our Series A or what have you. Well, and I think, I think there's an important piece about mothers telling the story about how hard it is. But I think, I think, you know, from a manager's perspective, how managers can, or leaders can support women in their organization. Part of the answer is supporting whatever that woman needs, but also giving them the choices about what they want to take on or what they want to drop off of without penalty. Right. And so Mm. instead of, sort of preemptively choosing for them saying like, what, what do you want right now? Let's have a conversation about it. Let's create a space where you can tell me what you do and don't want to do. If you don't fill up to it later, you can pass it back. But, but what, what is it that you want right now? How can, you know, what projects do you want to be involved in? What do you want to do? And, you know, it's not perfect, right? There's always a power dynamic, but as much as possible, we want to create the space where women can drive on this when they're pregnant. Mm. Yeah. To be included. I will share too. You know, I, when I just was carrying, I don't tend to show straight away. And so I have to decide, well, when do I tell them my news? But that's a small example of what a lot of women I'm sure are trying to figure out is the when and how to tell or communicate and then not knowing what's on the other side they don't know what to say in response to what do you want to do? Cause they're not sure what they're going to want to do. They think they might still want to be working perhaps, but who knows which that baby's in your arms. So I like the idea, as you say, Heather, that there's some models within the business that you can look to as examples of it wasn't a devastating call because they were in the board meeting, even though they were nine months or they were promoted in the midst of their journey or they were given benefits even with this alternative choice that they had about how they were going to conceive or adopt or we need more of that like in the mainstream. Well, and when you tell someone that you're pregnant, you, each person has their own story about motherhood and about pregnant women that you have to encounter. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have to tell this story over and over again to all these different people who have all these may have all these stories about what that means, about what your out, work output's going to be, how you're going to show up. They have all these stereotypes about that. And that's part of what's so difficult because you just can't anticipate what those reactions are going to be. Mm, that's right. So you might hold back. But like you said, it's, it, who, I, you never know who your audience is and how they hold the whole um, idea of what you're headed into. Yeah. Well, there's also the question, like... It feels like there's a statement that is "Promise me nothing's going to change," yes. right? Promise me nothing's going to change, and and if you make that promise, you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does it feel like anything is left unsaid here? There was only one thought I had, and that was. Um, what do we, what do we do for the folks that either, you know, those who can't conceive or find out they can write and those who just choose not to, like I can speak from that seat. And um, there's just one bit of wisdom that I have gleaned. And I worked with a woman who um, does pelvic or pelvic bowl care mm-hmm. for a year. And she works with a lot of women on fertility issues. I wasn't working with her on that issue. But she did say to me in one session, she said, um, 
Ali, have you, have you had a conversation with your eggs? Like, are you all in agreement about what you want and what you're creating in this life? Hmm. And I looked at her and I was like, well, that sounds shamanically crazy. I've never thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like kind of right then and there, you know, like while her hands were all up in my pelvic bowl, I was like, okay, well, let's have a conversation and see what the eggs have to say. But um, that's when I just kind of made the conscious, ultra conscious choice and conversation, you know, with the eggs. And I was like, all right, all right, girls. We're not going to have horses, we're going to have horses in this lifetime. But I just thought it was such a really, I mean, way to be in, in sync with your body. is just like, it's to consciously make the choice. Like, no, I'm really, we are okay. We don't need to bear children, but we are going to create something, you know, or what yes. is this thing that we are agreeing to create in this lifetime? Because I, I love that. That creative center is, is very potent for anyone. Mm-hmm. With or without children, so. You could certainly have an other whole discussion around women that make the choice, as you say, not to say mother in the traditional way that we're talking about um, giving birth and have this absolutely gorgeous, full lives that are meaningful and deep and contribute to society in all the ways that are important. And because uh, there is this assumption that we're all wired to reproduce. And if not, there's something wrong. Right. So I think that that is ridiculous. There's certainly, we could bring around to the table, a whole discussion around other choices that are conscious and real and magnificent. Mm -hmm. And it's not just this one lane that makes sense. Like you said, there are some of us who have choices and then there are some that do not. And, and, and yet I've tried to, or want to, or don't want to, that I think honoring all the conversations in a way that like nothing is strange or mm-hmm. um, that you're on the fringe, because right. to me, the fringe is more the mainstream now. And in the same way that we found a way to reproduce and not necessarily have to be in our 20s to do it. And um, we have alternative partners and lifestyles of wanting to reproduce together or use a surrogate or adopt, or take on children that are in our family that need caring for. Like, there's so many ways to build a world um, and be a caregiver. So I, these are feelings I think we have, obviously, as moms in the workforce with kids in the mix. But we could, I think, overlay caregiving, period, to these, this discussion. All women are carrying so much. I mean, what we're talking about here is, is it's hard if you say you're going to have a baby. It's hard if you decide you don't want to have a baby or you can't have a baby. Like they're just like, it's not easy for any of us in this area. Um, Each path has, is fraught with its own form of difficulty. And again, I say, aren't women incredible? Yeah, because we are. We are. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, head to reboot.io slash podcast to explore past and present seasons of our podcast conversations. To help more people find and enjoy the Reboot podcast, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. 
can find our step-by-step guide for leaving reviews in the show notes of each episode. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash signup so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Will any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision, king of insight. Reboot Your Year is our invitation for you to pause and honor the transition into the new year. This simple yet powerful free five-day course will guide you through the annual transition with grace and open you to the promise and hope for the year ahead. The course unfolds through daily emails, each with a cone to consider and a guided journaling practice handcrafted by the Reboot team. Each practice takes less than 20 minutes to complete. We'll help you enjoy this course so much You'll make it part of your annual practice and even share it with teammates and colleagues. Learn how to reboot your 2020 at rebootyouryear.com.